Well, I want to thank you guys for giving me the honor of being able to anoint her with oil. And, and what I think is really amazing when you think about anointing a child with oil, in many ways, this is kind of the, the sign that would be given as someone was anointed as a priest or someone was anointed into royalty. And what I love about the scriptures is it says that we are a royal kingdom, that we are a kingdom of priests. And so we saw before us a princess in the kingdom of God. And I think that's really amazing. And there's something... Uh, when you, when you think about a, a kingdom of priests and you think about royalty, we've been talking about in, being in search of a king. I, I thought of an incident this past couple of weeks that I thought was really funny in the, in the news. I don't know if, you're, if you remember, uh, a little while ago, there was a meeting between a prime minister and a prince. Do you remember Justin Trudeau? This is him trying to somehow get a high five or a low five, a five somehow out of the prince here. And I, what I thought was really funny is, is Prince George is probably the only kind of person who might be cooler than Justin Trudeau. <laughs> and was able to kind of, you know, just they didn't, give him, they didn't give him the time of day at all. And it was kind of funny, right? And people laughed and Trudeau took it really well. But it was, it was really charming. And I thought about that. And, and when we think about the, the word charming, there's probably no other word that we get closer to it than prince, right? A lot of you ladies were looking for your prince charming. A lot of you found them, right? Right, Ken? Yeah. <laughs> and in a certain sense, when we think about searching for Prince Charming or whatever it is uh, we have in our kind of Disney fairy tale type of world, we all as humans are searching for a king, even if we don't realize it. We're searching for a kingdom. We're looking for a prince who will bring peace. And there's this ancient promise that as we see the Magi, as they're searching for a king, as they're searching for a little baby, they're searching for a prince. And they are searching for one who has actually been prophesied by an ancient prophet Isaiah that there will one day be a prince of peace. Let's read Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The Prince of Peace. It's a very interesting title, of course, because in the ancient days, when someone thought of a king, what they thought of was warfare. What they thought of was a mighty warrior. That's who they wanted out of their royalty. They wanted someone who had conquest, defeat the, the nations. I mean, if you think in Israel's time, they thought of King David, and King David was a great warrior, a king of war. Now, we know he wasn't allowed to create the temple of Yahweh because he had that blood on his hands. But that's who you wanted to be led by when you were an Israelite in the ancient world. And yet here we hear a story about but a royal leader who's going to be doing something different, who's going to be bringing an everlasting peace for to us, a child is born and a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. 
There's this promise the Israelites are waiting for, that a child will be born someday. When you hear this term, a child is born, that's, that's Christmas language, right? We think of a child being born. I can almost hear Handel's Messiah in the back, right? Unto us a child is born. It's like this Christmas spirit to it. This is the passage that's full of expectation. There's hope. Like Basically, there's a king coming. Wait for him. And we heard last week that Israel was just was hoping and longing for this king that they could actually stand behind, they could actually be proud of, because they had strings of disappointing kings. And here we hear of a king, and the government will be on his shoulders. You almost see, like, Jesus squatting the parliament buildings on top of him or something, right? Like, what? The government is on his shoulders. This is a picture of government being all in in one place, one being, which is interesting because in our modern culture, government's kind of this, this word that has various reactions to it, doesn't it? Often we hear government, we're like, oh, they're going to take my money. Or we think of the infighting between different political parties. Like government isn't always just like a, this positive term, but here what we're hearing is government is going to be in Jesus. It's not going to be a negative word. Think about the power of this verse, that someday the government will be Jesus. He's going to be responsible for ensuring our health and our safety and our well-being. And then we see this kind of fourfold part of what this royal government will look like. First, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. One of the things that Isaiah got really frustrated with, with the kings of his day and age, were that they, they often seemed to lack a lot of wisdom. And they had a lot of counselors that were counseling really stupid things. They would counsel them to take on uh, emperors who shouldn't be battled because they were too powerful. They would counsel them to take on uh, deals with other nations that used to be enemies because they would supply them with chariots and soldiers and, and they trusted in these people that they shouldn't have trusted in. And this is kind of the, the, the idea of the government. If you think about today, when you think of the government, this is one of the things we always have problems. Like, why, why did they do that? That seems like it was a stupid way to go. And so this idea that, that someday we're going to have a wonderful counselor. There's going to be a king who not only has counsel, but he himself will be able to counsel like a king is supposed to. Counsel and, and step into different situations and speak wisdom into it. Give, give advice and be able to help this place prosper. He could rule with the sermon like the king was supposed to. And then he's called, very interesting term, mighty God. Mighty God. Can you imagine a Jewish prophet saying there's going to be a human who's born who's going to be called Mighty God. Now, of course, we know that some of the translations uh, try to take this difficulty away, and they'll say, well, it actually is more like godlike in warfare. But I just want to say, even that term, in the Jewish context, to compare a human being to God was a no-no. And yet here we have a prophet saying, one day we're going to have this king come and he will be mighty God. To me, it's a beautiful kind of promise that someday we're going to have this, what we call the incarnation. There's going to be 
God stepping into flesh, coming amongst us, living, and someday ruling with a government of hope and joy and peace and love. The mighty God of Israel. He's also an everlasting father. Now, one of the things about the kings of Israel in this day, again, is they didn't last very long. There's a couple that did, but a lot of them had short spans. And so this is the idea. Here we're going to have a king who's going to last for forever. There will be no stopping this king. He will reign. And not only is he going to reign, he's going to be a father to his people, an everlasting father. That this beautiful picture of someone who looks down and as he looks at the nation, and kind of think of a, 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 any uh, leader or government official, and they kind of look at the people, and they actually look at them as their children. They actually care about them the way we just saw Eric and Andrew care about Atlanta. You imagine a government that is led by someone who is the father for real of the people who cares for them, loves them, wants what's best for them, is, is looking out for them, wants to, to see them thrive. Not just vote for them, not just kind of prop up their power, but actually genuinely a, a ruler, a leader, who is going to look and care for them like a father. Which leads us to the second, or the last uh, title which we've been focusing on today, is, is, is the Prince of Peace. A ruler instead of warfare, brings shalom. And we've learned about shalom, right? Shalom isn't just lack of conflict. Shalom is this beautiful, powerful force of reconciliation and goodness, of healing, of relationships. It's at all levels. It's a wholeness. It means a oneness. Here we have someone to actually lead us who will bring wholeness and love and care, and healing. Yes, the, the hostilities will cease, but the peace is increased even more than that. There will be peace between neighbors, peace between different groups within nations, peace between nations, peace between people and God, people and themselves. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Finally, a government that we can't wait to keep going in perpetuity. There's no corruption. There's no like, oh, I think it's time now to bring in another party. It's, it's just continual, beautiful, loving government. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This is an eternal rule. Can you imagine what this prophet is doing? He's sitting here in a kingdom where there's nations coming and going, there's war happening, there's people being destroyed every day, and yet he's, he's just hoping and longing and prophesying of a future where there will be this peace. Humanity has never seen this. We've always dreamt of this. This is like the same picture John Lennon is hoping for. Right? This, is, this is what we're talking about, where there is this peace where everyone is in harmony. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. To me, this says something very important. I think a lot of time we as humans think that we're going to create this ideal 
government. We're going to create this ideal society that somehow within us as humans, we can kind of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we will make peace. Every time we see someone step up and talk about peace, we, we, they get, you can get a, a peace prize and, and drone people. Every time we talk about peace, we hear people amassing armies so they can create peace. And here we have this idea that somehow we're going to create the peace. Somehow a human's going to create the peace. And I, and I think even as Christians, sometimes we think, if we just rise up and we take control. And I hear what I hear is, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish. It's going to be God who accomplishes this. When peace comes, it's going to come, God's going to bring it. Now, that doesn't mean we have nothing to do. We're going to get to that. But there's this reality that this peace is supernatural, that humans can't create it for themselves. So what does it look like to be ruled by a prince of peace? How can we act as kind of this vanguard, this first establishment of this community that's governed by the prince of peace? Well, I think it means to be at peace with God. It means to be at peace with other people. And it means to be at peace with ourselves. And we have to look at this, and there's, there's this countercultural power to peace. And so I want to really quickly bring up a story of a missionary named Don Richardson. Have you heard of him before? Actually a Canadian missionary. He's a really interesting story. He actually went into uh, Indonesia, and he went to a tribe called the Sawi people. And they were actually, truly, cannibalistic headhunters. And he went into this tribe with his wife and his newborn baby, and he went to live with them. And they were kind of excited because they knew that they brought with them medicines and, and things. So they, they invited them in, and, and they were really excited. They actually, when you hear the story, that they actually had like a three-day party for him, just dancing around, singing songs, they were chanting. They were really excited to have him. And so he was really excited. He's like, oh, this is going to be great. And he started trying to share uh, the gospel with them. And they're listening avid, avidly, and they're, they're listening to him, and he starts telling the story of Jesus. And then it gets to this part in the story that you know well, where... Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And their eyes light up. Oh! And he's like, okay, I got him. And then you know what they say? They say, tell us more about this Judas. We want to be like Judas. Seriously. Because they, they value treachery. He's really clever. He, he used what he got. In, and, and then Don was like, oh, no. Like, what am I going to do? And then at the same time as this is all going on, there's actually three tribes that kind of, some lived close to the water and another one lived a little further away. One of the, two of the tribes started fighting with each other, like literally fighting all around his, his hut. And you can hear it, and they're not going to hurt him because they both they kind of, they like him, but they're fighting each other. And, uh, and Don Richardson's thinking like, what am I going to do? There's no way this is ever going to stop because these people love treachery. How do you bring peace into a people who value this type of thing? And then he witnessed something amazing. Eventually the hostilities died down, and he actually witnessed... One man come to one of his chief foes in the other tribe, and he brought his newborn baby, and he gave it to that tribe member on the opposite tribe that he had been fighting with. And Don Richard's like, what's going on? And what had happened is basically the idea was that to make peace, they had this idea of a peace child. And they would give it to the other tribe, and basically, you now you have my child, so to go to war with you is not very likely, right? You have my child. But on the other hand, the other people think, who is this person who would give us and trust us with his child. He must be a person that we should trust. 
What a beautiful story. And for Don Richardson, the light went on, and he said, this, he called it a redemptive analogy. Here's a, a practice in the, amongst these people that show us what the gospel looks like. And so he shared how God gave to humanity, these wicked people who value treachery, this peace child. And you know what happened? Almost the entire tribe came to Christ. Sixty years later, they still follow Christ. In fact, they created the greatest circular building ever in the world, I think. It's a big, giant Christian church. I don't understand exactly what's going on with the architecture. there. It's amazing to think that the story of peace helped bring peace not just to the tribes, but between them and God, and then the peace of Christ that came into their own hearts. And so when I think of this story, uh, we recognize that we serve a God who detests the, the, the values of wickedness of humanity, right? With our flexing of our power, our use of violence to, to get our way. And here we see a God who, who loves peace. Peace begins when we accept the peace child. When we quit our war against the kingdom of heaven. And once... We've established this peace with God through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Then we have hope for peace that'll be greater, a peace with others. For instance, Jesus brought peace between the original people of God, Israel, who were a special chosen people, his family. He brought them the peace with the Gentiles, with all the tribes and nations, and he's brought them together in a family. A picture. The church is a living picture of the peace that the prince brings. One of the practical implications of all this, I believe, is that although we can't create the perfect peaceful kingdom, we do need to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We need to live as citizens of the kingdom of peace. And so we need to be growing in the character, trying to to live in this peace. He will have to come and set it right himself, but he will have a people who are trying to demonstrate this. That's hard, isn't it? Like, peace, when you think, well, everyone wants peace, but actual living peace in your life, is that a hard thing? I'm like, I'm just thinking of yesterday night, coming home from my brother-in-law's birthday party, driving my car, there was not peace in the back of the van. <laughs> and I gotta admit, trying to be a peacemaker in that situation is not easy, is it? Peace doesn't come with a loud roar. <laughs> or maybe it does, but it doesn't actually create the peace that you want. And trying to be that gentle, you know, deliberate, slow, but yet still resolute voice that helps bring an end to the bickering, that in itself is a hard thing. Being a peacemaker, it sounds really nice, and, but when you actually try to live that out in your family, when you're talking about your coworkers and trying to be at peace with your coworker who's not really trying too hard to be peaceful with you. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? Well, I, I think one of the things we have to recognize is that peace brings peace. When we start to initiate peace, then maybe peace can come. There's a verse in the Proverbs I love. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor but a person of understanding holds their peace. This is the wisdom that comes from being able to hold peace, to create a, a place of peace, to be a peacemaker. 
Now, Christians aren't immune, right? When I think about peace, like, there's ways in which it's very difficult. I think of something like politics. And, and when we talk about, we've been talking about government. There's a place where peace is not very prevalent, right? You look on your Facebook group and you see all the bickering and the battling over whose politics are right. I bet you if we even scratch around the surface here, I could find people who are supporting different political positions. And, and, and I'm sure are grounded in their own concept of the gospel and Jesus is still connected to their faith. But you, you get what I'm saying? It'd be very easy for there to be a division. But what I love about the church is here we sit, brothers and sisters, conservatives and new democrats and liberals and greens and independents and whatever. Here we sit under the rule of the prince of peace. And it's not that anything that's unimportant, it's that Jesus is the most important. That Jesus is going to make things right and peaceful. And that's what the church is meant to be, a, a, a picture, a foretaste of what will be made. The peacemaking of the church. Now, peace can only come also, I think, when, when, we, when we have the peace of God. To be able to be one of those people that make peace, I think you need to have peace with God. And that comes from making sure that you take your time with God. Be anxious for nothing, says in Philippians 4.6. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. It's a busy time. It's hard to have peace when you're running to a shopping mall and trying to take the kids here, or you're trying to get your work done there. It's hard to be at peace when you're looking and you hear stories of like horrific crimes and cruelties against innocent children or or suffering people groups, right? And when you read this stuff, it's like your heart can get unsettled. And I've been realizing there was a time this week when I just had to stop, turn everything off, sit down, and just, I cried out to God, like, God, I can't, I can't deal with this, everything. What? And I realized that I just need to be with him, bring it to him, spend time with him. And the promise isn't that you'll never have any troubles, or you're not going to go through bad things. This piece that you're promised is that you're going to be able to have God with you as you go through it. And that's what we need, isn't it? A prince who's there with us, who cries with us, who walks with us. And we start to discover this peace with God. That's when we become peacemakers. And so I pray, like, let us be a people who are able to help calm down an angry room. Let us be a church who looks for injustice, where there's a lack of shalom where we'll take occupancy in our city and we can start to shine a light there, a light of the Prince of Peace. Because we are a kingdom of priests. We are royal priests. And we come in the name of a king. So let's pledge allegiance to the Prince of Peace. And let's just look forward. I look forward to the day when I get to meet the Prince of Peace face to face and he gets to give me a heavenly high five. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this promise of peace. Oh, do our hearts long for it. We can hardly hope for it. It seems so far away. And yet we trust, as we look at Advent, we we wait. We await the advent of the king. We search for this peace. We look for the king who will be able to bring true peace to this world. And we long for it. And we know that it is Jesus. We have seen him, and yet we still wait for him to return and set it up. And so let us be a harbinger of peace. 
Let us be peacemakers. Let us be peacemakers in our homes. Let us be peacemakers at work. Let us be peacemakers in our churches, in our cities, and throughout the nations, Lord God. Let us be a church who worships the Prince of Peace. Amen.